Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Connect Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, evangelical Christian church serving the people of Mesa, Arizona, and abroad. Connect Church is focused on reaching wide in our community, teaching deep to equip people, and unleashing compassion, all to see our world impacted in a real way. Now, let's listen in on today's message. He checks the wound on his thigh one more time. The gas is deep and the dressing has already been changed three times that night, and yet it needs to be changed again. The wound is deep and it's long and really it needs to be stitched, but if they stitch it and and he takes it off for the next five days, he'll not be able to join the men on the battlefield again tomorrow, and tomorrow's going to be a bigger day. He's doing his best to keep pressure on the wound, to keep the leg elevated, to keep it above his heart so that the blood doesn't gush out too much, but it's painful. And while he sits there pondering the cut in his leg and the dressing that needs to be addressed yet again, he looks across the camp and he sees the three bedrolls over there. The equipment is laying there beside them undisturbed. Those men aren't coming back from the battle from this afternoon. And when he gets back home and he has to tell their families what happened, it's going to be painful. These were some of his best friends. They had come down from the high country together. They had fought many a battle together. They had won many a war together. And he's not looking forward to the conversation he's going to have to have in a few days with their families. And as he sees those three empty bedrolls with the equipment undisturbed laying there in the camp in a dimly lit fire that's radiating throughout, he looks and he sees a whole bunch more and he knows that they have lost 4,000 men in battle that day. He knows that when they get home and word spreads throughout the community, that there is going to be a lot of wailing. There is going to be a lot of grieving. There is going to be a lot of crying. There is going to be a lot of sorrow. It's going to be a tough loss for this community. And yet they've got to get up and they've got to go back tomorrow for day two of the battle. And his mind begins to think about what might happen tomorrow, how the outcome of tomorrow's battle might be different. And as he's thinking about that, sitting there beside his own little bedroll, all of a sudden the ground begins to shake just a little bit. And off in the distance, he can feel the rumble begin to roar. And in just a few moments, he begins to hear cries and shouts. But these are cries of defeat. These aren't shouts of agony. These are cries of victory. And in that moment, in that very moment, he knows what's taking place. God has arrived and his men have found religion. And the fate of the second day of battle is about to be changed. It's an incredible story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 4. It tells us all about a group of people whom God had loved, God had led, and how they became stuck in religion. So if you have your Bibles or you have your own personal flat screens, in your Bibles, it's in the early part of the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, about a third of the way in. There are a whole bunch of firsts, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. It's the first of the first. Go to First Samuel chapter 4. If you have your own individual flat screen, there's no shame in using the table of contents. That's what it's there for. Find First Samuel chapter 4. Grab the notes in the middle of your worship folder. You're going to need them. Let's take a look at what God's doing here in the scenario that I just kind of laid out for you. 
And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. And the Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. And the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. And there in this first couple of verses, we are told all we need to know. You have the Israelites, who are historically known as the people of God. And then you have their arch enemy, their sworn enemies, the Philistines. And it seems like these two nations are constantly at war with one another. Usually it's over power. Sometimes it's over a stretch of land. But the battle they had that day was particularly gruesome. It's not the kind of battle you and I would want to sit down with a box of popcorn and a Diet Coke, you know, because they cancel each other out, and watch on the big screen. Whatever your favorite war movie, Braveheart, Gladiator, Saving Private Ryan, North and South, it doesn't come close to exploring and exposing the brutality, the gruesome depiction of what happened in that battle because this one was personal. This one was hand to hand, sword to sword, shield to shield. It's a gruesome battle. And as the sun sets at the end of the day, the armies begin to retreat into the darkness. And all that's left lying out there on the valley between the two ridges are 4,000 bodies of dead Israelites. These became the slaughtered people of God. God's people... God's people aren't supposed to lose, especially in the Bible. Now, I don't know how well you've been focusing on real life, but it seems like God's people lose, right? And 4,000 are lost that day. And so that night, in the cover of darkness, as the generals come back to the tent that, that houses them, they gather around their tent, scratching their heads, asking one another, what are we going to do differently on day two? And right here is where the story changes. Verse 3 begins, when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Now, isn't that a great question? For any of you who are looking for a new life verse, because the one that you've been using about God's promise and God's protection and, and God's help and how God is going to make your life great, that one's not working. This is a great life verse. Why did the Lord bring defeat on me today? You don't really see that on a lot of Christian bumper stickers, do you? God, why did you bring defeat against me? But it's a great question. And I wonder how many of us from time to time have, have been through the difficulties and we've gone to that struggling place in our lives and we know that we've just found our new favorite Bible verse here this morning. Why, God? Have you been there? You come to the place in life where there's so much going against you, so much wrong is taking place, and you just want to take a time out simply to remind God that you're on his side. Because obviously he's forgotten, or maybe he just doesn't care. And if you want to be real honest in church, 
If you want to quote scripture in church, this is a good one to start with. Because I want to know why it seems that God is against me. And when Samuel sat down to write his memoirs and include this story about this battle, I can imagine Samuel pausing and looking heavenward and God going, Samuel, print it. That's good Bible. But now he speaks. He hadn't really noticed him before. He's been sitting over in the shadows of the tent. He steps forward in the firelight just a little bit. And as he does, he pulls his hood back from his garment. He strokes his long gray beard and he stretches forth his hands that are scarred. And as he steps into the light there by the table and the scars on his face become more pronounced. He has the answer that everybody's been waiting for. He says, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. Wah, wah, wah. Everyone around the table knows what's just been spoken. This is the ark of God. It's that little two foot by three foot gold box that Indiana Jones is still looking for. It is it is housed the Ark of the Covenant, the, what God is doing with his people. And as he is their sign and their symbol of the success, the, the presence of God is among his people. And as he leans forward and puts his hands on the table, he says, let's go get the box. And everyone knows it's a game changer. Because when this people, as we discussed in our series called The Land Between, had wandered for 40 years, and now Joshua was about to lead them in the promised land, except they came there during the flood season, and the Jordan River had swelled way beyond its bounds, but they had to cross the river to get to the other side. They couldn't go back into the desert. And as they stood there, and a million and a half people trying to figure out what they were going to do, God says to Joshua, get the box. Bring it to the front of the line of the million and a half people. Take the heaviest object in camp and step into the floodwaters. Now, most of the time, you wouldn't grab the heaviest thing you have to step into floods, right? Because that's just stupid. Except when God tells you to do it. Joshua, bring it to the front of the line. And I want you to step into the water. If it doesn't come from God, it's a pretty bad choice. Now, can we be honest enough with ourselves here this morning to admit that we Christians do stupid things and call it faith and blame it on God? I mean, you know, you know, God, God, I'm going to step out. and I'm going to jump out on faith and God, I'm going to expect you to catch me. And if he doesn't, then we say, well, you didn't have much faith. You don't have much life left either. This wasn't people doing something stupid. This is people who were doing exactly what God asked them to do. And they pick up the box. And as they step into the water, the Bible tells us for the second time now in their journey, the water parts. And all of them walk across on dry ground. And they no more get on the other side of the river and step into the land when they are confronted with one of the most fortified cities of the day. It's a city called Jericho. 
And for them to inhabit the land, they've got to take the city called Jericho. Now keep in mind, for the past 400 years, this grouping of people and their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles had been slaves in Egypt. No one had ever taught them how to formulate military strategy. No one had ever shown them how to do hand-to-hand combat. No one ever taught them how to take down the fortified walls of one of the strongest cities that has been standing for centuries. And God says for a second time, Joshua, get the box. Get the box, Joshua. Bring it to the front of the line. And I want you for the next seven days to do a lap around that city. For six, do one lap. On day seven, I want you to do seven laps. And then I want you to stop and I want you to blow the horns. And I want you to watch the walls come tumbling down. The men in this camp knew the history. They knew the heritage of their forefathers. Israel knew all about the box. And this box wasn't just any box because uh, ostensibly it, it showed the presence of God with them, the Ark of the Covenant. And if you touched it, you would die because it was so powerful. And so they used to have to carry it with rods and it would take multiple men because it was heavy. And, you know, you remember when the Germans lifted the lid and it melted their faces? This is no ordinary golden laden box. They've got the box. This box is serious stuff. This box is a game changer. So in verse four, the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. Those are like little decorative angels that you put on your Christmas trees, but it also was on this box. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now this is bonus, folks. They're not just getting the box They're not just getting God in a box. They're also getting the two sons of the high priest. So now you have the Ark of the Covenant and now you've got God on your side and now you've got the two future high priests. Watch the impact all of this has on those who are lying in the camp wounded. Watch the impact all of this has on those who are confused and scared and bitter and defeated, wondering why God has been against them. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. And hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. You see, at some point in the night, the box comes into the camp. And all of those remaining soldiers, warriors of the Israelite army were so excited and so overcome with emotion because they had the box that even though they had just lost 4,000 of their friends and fathers and nephews and sons and fellow soldiers that day, there was such a cheer, there was such a resurgence, there was such faith in knowing that this is a game shaker and they all get excited and they're celebrating so wonderfully that the ground shakes, not just on the ridge they inhabit, but down through the valley where the creek flows and the rabbits are hanging out and the butterflies would flutter up on the ridge where the Philistine army is. This is an 
army of men at fever pitch. And across the valley on the other side of the ridge, the Philistines are awakened by their cheering. And the ground is shaking because the Israelites are all excited and the Philistines are actually confused. The Philistines are like, didn't we win the battle today? Didn't we have victory today? Why are all of those guys over there cheering? And they found out, the scripture tells us, that God hadn't come into the camp. Now, we're not told how. So a little sanctified imagination. If you've ever hung around with a group of guys, you've been on a sports team, you're in a street gang, whatever, you hung around a group of guys, you know that everybody, uh, all groups of guys, sports teams just hanging around the neighborhood or whatever, always have at least three specific guys in that group. You've always got the big guy who's like your protector. Nobody messes with you. You got the big guy, right? And you've also got the smart guy. He's going to share knowledge with you. He's going to help you understand some things. And then one of the other guys that you have is you always have this little dude. He's skinny, but he's fast. It doesn't matter how much he eats. He never gains an ounce and he can run like the wind. And they give him cool nicknames like rodent or skeeter. (laughs) And that's what the Philistines do. Skeeter, come here. We got to know why they're cheering. Skeeter, we want you to run over the river and through the woods to the Israelite camp you go. Oh, you got that. Cool. Skeeter, find out why they're celebrating because we won and they lost. Any Big Bang Theory fans in here this morning? So you know those scenes where Sheldon goes into flash mode and he goes like this and he's in the Grand Canyon and back? I imagine that's what Skeeter was like. Skeeter just... He comes back. He goes, ah, we're back. They got, they got, got Skeeter. Slow down. Tell us. I know, but you got to know. They got Skeeter. Skeeter, take a breath. It's okay. No, you don't understand. They got, <sighs> they got gods. Oh, do you know how many gods they had back in that day? They had a God for everything. They had a God for wind and a God for rain and a, and a God for if you had a hangnail and a God for your big toe. I mean, they had gods for everything. And Skeeter's like, and he puts on his glasses and he looks at his notes. <laughs> he said, no, they got the box. You see, the, Israelite, or the, the Philistines also knew the history of the Israelites. That's why they said there in verse 8 that these... This is the gods, the box that struck down the Egyptians out in the wilderness. They know the history of the box. They know that when that box led the Israeli army, what they did to the Egyptians and what they did to a bunch of other enemies they encountered. They know about the box leading them across the flooded waters. They know all about the box. And they're like, we're not going to fight the box. And so what happens is every guy begins to roll up his his bedding and he grabs his weapons and he's ready to head home. And when I'm reading this, when I get to this point, quite frankly, I'm a little bit bummed. Are you? Because I want to see justice. I want to see day two happen. Is that okay? 
You better say yes because many of you feel the same way. You're thinking about the, you want justice with the people who have hurt you, the people who have wronged you, the people who have robbed you, the people who have harmed your family, the people who have betrayed you, the people who long life's way have stabbed you in the back. Isn't it okay that we read this and we want a little bit of justice? After all, we're in the right. I hope so. Because the entire Bible is filled with it. That's just called cries of prayers. It goes a little bit like this. God, here's where I am. And here's what I want to see happen to them. Now at the end, God, I leave it in your hands because you're God and I'm not. And, and I trust you. But God, you take revenge on my behalf. Because God, there's a part of me, I trust you, but I want to see justice. And just as these Philistines are about to break up camp and go home, he comes riding in on a stallion. And as he comes riding in, he's riding in hard, he's riding in fast. His ponytail was flapping in the back. His face is painted half blue and half white. They call him Philistine Wallace. He comes driving in. And he says these words in verse nine, be strong Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you, be men and fight. And I'm going, oh man, that's a great speech. You're on the wrong side, but that's a great speech. And what he does is he talks the Philistines into going into battle against the box. Are you ready for this? This is like the coolest thing in the Bible. So verse 10, the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great for Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers that day and the ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. I, I didn't see that coming, did you? If I'm standing on the ridge and I'm looking through the whole valley, all you can see is the complete massacre, the complete slaughter of the people of God. Even the stream that flows in the valley between the two ridges is flowing red with the blood of the men whose bodies are laying on the battlefield. And as the sun begins to fade and you stand over here on this ridge, you catch a glimmer of a reflection of the sunlight and then it dawns on you. They got the box. And the Philistines are going home with the box. God is going home to a new people group as a souvenir. Now, if you're anything like me, as a Christian, if I'm watching this as a movie, I want my money back. You know what I mean? <laughs> you ever felt like you've done your best in your walk with Christ and doing your Christian best and it's not going the way you think and you kind of want your money back? Don't answer that in church. <laughs> God forbid we ever get honest in church because that would jack up our system of pretending we've got it all okay, right? 
You ever felt like you've done what you're supposed to do and you want your money back? And then somebody, probably well-meaning, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, walks up to you and says, well, that's just one of the mysterious things that belongs to God. Or in heaven, it will all make sense. Well, I'm not in heaven right now, so you know what you can do with that statement. You say, well, David, that's just verse 11. There's a lot of chapter left. I'm sure it gets better. You'd think so, right? You can read it on your own this afternoon. What happens? Here's the Cliff Notes version. Word comes back to town that the two high priests, the sons of the high priests, are dead. Then on day one, 4,000 men were lost. On day two, 30,000 more men were lost. And the Ark of the Covenant has been captured and taken to the Philistines. And Eli, the high priest, the father of Hophni and Phinehas, at this stage in life, is 98 years old. He's sitting on the chair, and when word comes to him, he literally like faints and falls off, breaks his neck, and dies right there. And then the messenger has to leave there, and he has to go to the wives of Hophni and Phinehas. And he tells them that the Ark of the Covenant's been captured, that their husbands are dead, that 34,000 of our soldiers have died, and their father-in-law just fainted, broke his neck, and died when he heard the word. And Phinehas' wife, by the way, is pregnant. And she is so, so rocked by all of that that she prematurely goes into labor. And they were able to save the baby, but she doesn't make it. In her last dying breath, she tells the people around her, name my son Ichabod. Because that means the glory of God has just left us. Donald and Jamie, if you're looking for another child, there's your good name. The little blue-haired ladies that taught my Sunday school at the Jefferson Avenue Church of Christ and Christian Union in Chillicothe, Ohio, never told me this. They never taught me this when they put it up on the flannel graph and I would ask the questions. The Sunday school I went to kind of robbed me of an understanding of who God is. They never taught me that I could do everything I've been taught to do and God would still refuse to show up for me. You been there? Today, it's an incredible conversation we're entering into based on this scripture. We're going to teach us how to become unstuck from religion because religion is one of the worst things that you can ever be stuck in. Are you with me in this? If you want to grab your notes, I want three quick steps to good religion. Number one, admit that we need God's help. I mean, isn't that the first step? Isn't that what the Israelites did? Let's go get the box. We need God's help. Bring God in a box to us. You know, when I get overwhelmed in life and I'm like, God, this is David. As you know, I can't do it on my own. God, I need you to help me. Check that off my list. Number two, call on God to help us and give him our problems. I mean, they did that, right? They even took God into battle with them. Check, got God here. That's good religion. So what's the problem here? Well, in Sunday school, what they would say when God didn't show up and do what you asked him to do when you asked him to do it, that it was your fault because you just didn't have enough faith. But these folks had so much faith that the ground literally shook. They knew day two was going to be different. I don't know how much faith it takes to make the ground shake. 
but they had so much faith that the ground shook and woke up their enemy on the other ridge. And isn't that what we're told to do? You just need to have so much faith that you'll scare the devil out of your house and send him packing. Number three, have faith that God will fix our problems. They did this too, right? That's three steps to good religion. But when you're dealing with this and you're struggling with this, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the margins. See, I got told in Sunday school that as you go through life, you encounter a problem. There are ways to deal with these kinds of things. And if you have a relation problem, you just know that you have God. You've got God in the box and come here and you get God out of the box and oh God, I got a relationship problem and, and uh, God, come on, come on God, come on, fix my relationship. Oh, good God, good God, good God. Now go back in your box. And you go through life and you're doing pretty well and then you hit a, a financial problem. Oh God, come on God, good boy, good boy, good God. Oh, good God, take my problem. Okay, God, go back in your, oh. well, you have a problem with me treating God like a dog? Yeah, so does he. So does he. And that's my point. It's exactly what I'm telling you. Israel, what in the world were you doing in a battle without God in the first place? Israel had turned to rituals and things that are supposed to get God on our side. And we do them too. You know, for us, it's a little different, but we, we use the same measuring stick, so to speak. Church attendance, uh, help in Awana. Uh, I gave to support that new missionary girl, Hannah, that David likes. Uh, I, I went to the prayer group. Um, I gave peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to New Hope Community Center. We do it, right? And God's teaching us what's going to happen here. And so this is the result of good religion. The result of good religion is this. We will become frustrated, disappointed, and upset with God. Frustrated, disappointed, and upset at God. This is the result of good religion. Think about it. Can you imagine the survivors of the battle who fled back to their tents? They're going... 4,000 yesterday, we bring God in a box in and 30,000 more. Way to go, God. Glad we're following you. How many times, how many times have any of us in this room prayed and sought God and prayed and sought God and prayed and sought God only to find out that cancer kills. How many times have you prayed and prayed and prayed and begged and begged and begged and believed and believed and believed only to find out that tumors still grow? How many times have you prayed and cried and poured yourself out only to find out that marriages end, that families can be destroyed? 
that disasters happen, that disease kills, that a house can be taken, that a job can be lost. And in the process, we end up bitter and frustrated and upset with God. I promise you, all of that is great religion. And that is where great religion will lead you every time. Hurt, angry, frustrated, and upset with God. You see, folks, the Bible is not a book that teaches us how to have great religion. We and the church, in the name of God, have simply turned it into that. What the Israelites did that day was not Christianity. It was rabbit foot theology. It was voodoo theology. And God's going, I love you. You're my people. But this one's going to hurt. They did everything they could to try and use God for their purposes. And that is not how God works. God will not be manipulated into becoming a genie to fix our problems. He's not interested in our religion. So hear this pastor loud and clear this morning. Connect Church, stop being religious. You don't hear that in church every day, do you? See, last week we talked about how to become unstuck from what? You remember? Talk to me. Anybody here last week? Guilt and shame. What happens is when you begin to find out there is freedom in Christ and you begin to take the steps that we outline on how to become unstuck from guilt and shame, if you're not careful, the first thing we do is we run from guilt and shame and we dive deep in into religion. And when you do that, you end up more frustrated and more disappointed. And so how do I know if I'm stuck in religion. Some things right there. The first thing is this. I'm doing the right rituals with the wrong lifestyle. Here in just a moment, we're going to take a look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, because there what happens is this actually confronts the issue that was going on in the church and the people of faith that day. And basically what's going on in that scripture is not a whole lot different than us today because what the Bible is saying right here is essentially there is no difference between the people in the church and the people in the culture. We're still sleeping with the same people. We're still watching the same porn. We're still battling the same addictions. I mean, Phineas and Hophni, those two sons of the high priest who were next in line to be high priests, they were sleeping with all the women in the church every Sunday or Saturday whenever they worshiped. They were stealing out of the offering they would get dressed up and they looked like they were worshiping and they looked like they were good going to church, but there was no difference in their lifestyle. So 1 Samuel 2 verse 30 says this, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor but those who despise me will be, what's the word? Disdained. Disdained. Hated. I want nothing to do with. And God's saying, that's, that's the situation. That's where we're going with all of this. Because what these folks did 
And what the Israelite army did is they did not run to God to surrender to him. They ran to God for their own success. You've been there? And every time we run to God for our own success instead of surrender and yieldedness to him for who he is, those who despise me will be disdained. Doesn't roll off the tongue real easy in church. Aren't you glad you came today? And then turn a couple pages in your Bible over. We're going to pop it up on the screen to 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 30. This is real interesting. It says, when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel, now check out this wording. The elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that what? One word, two letters. So that what? One word, two letters. So that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So that it may go with us. Now, we don't have a box today. But we put God in other boxes, so to speak. Sometimes we call it prayer. Sometimes we call it church attendance. Sometimes we call it giving in the offering. But no matter what we're doing, it's still qualifying as one word, two letters, it. What Israel essentially had been saying now for decades was I'm going to live my life my way. But when I have a problem, I'm going to call on God to come and fix it. And God said, this one's going to cost you. And you're like, David, I did everything I was told. And in the process, we put God in the box and this one is going to cost us. Doing the right rituals with the wrong lifestyle. Second thing there, my focus is on what I get, not on the giver. What I get, not on the giver. See, I'm coming to God for my success, not for surrender. And I've been coming to church wondering when it's going to pay off because someone told me things go better with prayer. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the point of prayer? That things go better for you and me instead of the point of prayer being us having a relationship with God? So there's a line there. If you go back to the number two up at the top, it says, we have turned prayer into what we get from God instead of how we get to God. Do you understand the difference? We have turned prayer into what we get from God instead of how we get to God. I mean, that's playing religion, not pursuing relationship. See, too many of our prayers are gimme, 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 like a little kid sitting on Santa Claus' lap at Christmas. And you're like, uh, David, what am I supposed to pray? We were actually supposed to pray, not so much gimme, but show me. Show me your will, show me your heart, show me your love, show me your plan. But you're like, um, what about all those verses in the Bible that say, Seek me and you will find and ask and it'll be given and, and I'd share an intercessory. Yes, 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 and yes. 
hear this, this is important, in context of a personal relationship with God. Just real quick, let me walk you through some of those Bible verses that we want to hold on and cling to like it's God in the box. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 7. Now check, check this out. What's the first word? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. So you see our part, God's part. You with me in this? I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. And now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. We have our part in yielding fully to God. And when we do that, then God promises to do this, right? Let's go on to the next one. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. And the people of Israel and the soldiers in the battlefield knew this verse well. Then Isaiah says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And then Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with coming to church once every two or three weeks and giving God a tip instead of a tithe. Is that what it says? Seek me with what? It's a very, very important line in your notes. It says, when the church gathers and sings, God is useful instead of God is worthy then you know your box has been stolen again. See, folks, when we start playing prayers and playing church attendance and playing offerings to get God on our side for our success, instead of fully seeking God in absolute surrender, we know we're involved in the rituals for ourselves, that it's rabbit foot theology, and we pray, gimme, 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 not change me. How do I know if I'm stuck in religion? I'm doing the right rituals. My focus is on what I get, not, what, not the giver. And the next one is, I'm angry at God when I don't get what I ask for. I, I want you to hear me right here. In life, your faith will be shaken. Some of you may have had your faith shaken during this conversation we're having right now. But if you haven't, it'll get shaken the next time you stand at the bedside of a family member. Now I get, I get that right here, as your pastor, I have to tread very lightly because I know that some of you in this room are hurting. I know that some of you in this room are in pain. I know that some of you in this room have recently suffered great loss. And I've seen so many times over the course of 27 years in vocational ministry when well-meaning families get together and we're praying for cancer because what we do is we, we anoint a prayer cloth and we put together a prayer website and we do out a, 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 a mass email or a mass phone tree to all of the prayer warriors. And we go into the room and we tell the doctor he's about to see a miracle. We tell the nurse, just watch. You're about to see the power of God. And I want you to understand You can say that all the want, but you're not about to see the power of the God that's described in the Bible. 
the God of the Bible wants you, all of you, in complete surrender. Maybe you're arguing in your mind, well, what about the New Testament? Or what about cross? Or what about grace? See, more than anything, the cross says God has earned the right to require my full surrender. God says, David, I'll take all of you or I'll take none of you. If you have areas in your life where you are despising God's word, right now I'm giving you permission. Stop praying about it. Stop praying for your wants until you align fully with God's word and not despise portions of God's worth just because you don't agree with them. You're just going to get frustrated and depressed. Ironically, you're going to get mad at God. At that moment that you take your hands off and you surrender to him and you ask for forgiveness, then you enter into a relationship with an amazing God who walks with you as you walk away from a religion where you've just been using him. And so what does it that God, what is it that God really wants? Instead of getting religious, I need to get right with God. God says, don't turn to rituals. In fact, he asks us, what were you ever doing with that problem without me anyway? Because if God's not in your marriage, stop praying to him about your marriage. It's not his. If God's not in your business, stop praying to God about your business. It's not his. If God's not in your personal finances, stop praying to God about your personal finances. They're not his. God's not a genie in a bottle to be taken out and used whenever you need God in the box to come and fix it for you. God wants all of us. 1 Samuel chapter 7, now a few pages past the story that we've just read to the battle. Verse 2 says, the ark remained at I can't pronounce that, a long time, but 20 years in all. And then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. And so Samuel said to all of the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites, 20 years later, long lesson learned, put away their bales and their asterisks and serve the Lord only. And then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede for you. See, what happens is the prophet Samuel calls the people for 20 years. He's been telling them all of this and they have still been stone-hearted even though they lost the ark, even though they lost 34,000 of their best men. He's been teaching them. They keep doing their own thing and worshiping their own idols. And Samuel says, listen, if you've come to the point where you're done playing games, if you've come to the point where you're done trying to get God on your side, then you should know that God's willing to bring you onto his side. Do you get the difference? And did you notice the, the two gods personally identified, Baal and Ashtoreth? I don't know if you know this or not. Baal was the god of success. And Ashtoreth was the god of sexuality. I don't know about you, but I'm glad here in the United States, we never have to deal with success and sexuality in life. <laughs> I don't think, in full disclosure, there's anything that I have struggled with 
more in my life that doesn't fall underneath one of those two headings? Success and sexuality. And God said, if you want to take your success and your sexuality and put it underneath his lordship, I'm your God. We'll walk together. We'll talk together. You'll know that you are my own. And if you don't, well, you can keep praying. God says, I love you too much to be your genie in a bottle. But I'm hoping that while this one hurt, I'm hoping that it awakens you to the God who wants a personal relationship with you. If you desire him only and it's 100% your call. And the very last thought here, we would be remiss in not doing scripture justice if we didn't address this. Because this last thought is the moral to the entire story. God would rather be with those who fear him than with those who want to use him. Think about this. The Philistines feared God and they had no clue who he was. They called him gods, if you remember the early reading. But the church just wanted to use God. God said, I've just picked a new location and until you get your act together, I don't want anything to do with you. See, folks, if you want to live your life and call out a God who's supposed to magically fix your life's issues, it's not the God of the Bible. God says, I'm tired of my people treating me like God in a box and coming to a square room and giving me their tips and telling me their problems and walking about out in their households, out in their businesses, out in their communities and living like I don't exist. I'm not your genie in a bottle. I'm not Santa Claus where you sit on my lap and cry out to me about your gimmies and your wants. God says, I want a personal relationship with you. That's why I gave you my son on a cross, but I want all of you, not just what you want from me. I told you in my email this week, this message was not for the faint of heart. Did I advise you well? Did I lie to you? I will always love you enough to give you the fullness of the scripture, not just the pretty stuff. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads. And I, I get that I'm over time, so I want to do this reverently but quickly. You're going to have to have a little bit of courage this morning, but you're going to have to trust me. But if you feel like God has been speaking to you through this Old Testament story, that maybe you've been doing God in the box, you're Mr. Fix-It, you're Santa Claus, you're genie in a bottle, while you've been despising parts of his word, and you want to say, yes, God, I want the full relationship with you. I'll give you all of me. Please, God, give me all of you. Would you have the courage, if you would, please, to stand right where you are and let me pray with you.
God, the humility in this room in this moment is palpable. It's overwhelming. A couple dozen people are standing and saying, God, no more games, no more genie in a bottle, no more religion. I have been stuck in religion trying to do the right thing the right way because I want to get my way and you're the only way I know to get there. What they're saying is, God, I'm taking my hands off. God, my life, my purpose, my eternity are yours. God, I want perfect relationship with you in as much as my humanity will permit that. God, I know that you gave us your all through Jesus on the cross. And in that you earned the right to ask us to give our all back to you. Not out of obligation, but out of love, out of choice. God, for the folks who are standing in this room this morning, and even for those who aren't, I would pray that as they stand here in this moment, whatever it is that you do that sends that washing from head to toe as you send your Holy Spirit, that you would wash over them. You would share yourself with them. You would remind them of your incredible love for them, your purpose for them, the joy that is theirs in living in everlasting relationship with you. And that God, you would give them the courage and the encouragement to walk out of this room celebrating a full personal relationship with the God who gave his life for us. Father, we love you, we honor you, we worship you, we give you all praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Connect Church podcast. We hope and pray that God has spoken to you today. If so, please let us know. Leave us a review or a comment or visit us on the web at connectchurchaz.org. If you have any questions or would like someone to pray with you or would just like some more information, feel free to email us directly at info at connectchurchaz.org and someone will get back to you. Lastly, if you are enjoying this podcast, we would ask that you consider partnering with us. This would be through your prayers. And secondly, through your giving. Online giving is tax deductible and 100% secure on the web. If you're currently a partner, thank you so much for your commitment. This podcast is produced by Missioner Audio at missionaraudio.com.